Well, welcome everybody. Uh, great crowd we have tonight. Uh, really special friend of ours that's going to be speaking. Farron and I have known Randy Everhart and his wife Susie and their family for, gosh, 20 years or so or more. Uh, Randy is a pastoral counselor and he's a certified and alcohol counselor helping families with addiction and recovery. He's also a career coach. He's a former high school football coach at Lovett, middle school coach. He's been in Young Life for over 30 years. He has a passion for families and kids and youth uh, that are in crisis. And he's in a crisis ministry every day helping families uh, get restored. Um, he's going to tell you about what he does. He's uh, been involved with all kinds of programs, No Longer Bound, Waypoint Center in Dahlonega, Sherpa Coaching Institute at the University of Georgia. He's got all kinds of certifications. So I'm going to stop right there, Randy, and I'm going to let you tell the rest, but I'm going to go ahead and pray for you, brother. Okay. Heavenly Father, we just thank you now for Randy and his love for you and his love for your people, God, and just pray now that you will speak through him in a mighty way tonight where you will offer through him us words of hope and encouragement, Father. We just look forward to what he has to say, Father, from your word. And in Jesus' name and I pray. Amen. Welcome, Brother Randy. Well, thanks for being here. I'll I, I tell you, uh, yeah, I'm a counselor. LifeGate Counseling Group is uh, at Peachtree Presbyterian Church. And so there's some uh, licensed therapists there that um, a lot of them do marriage and family therapy and I'm the drug and alcohol guy so if they turn that up they send them down the hall to me and then we bounce them back and forth together so we're really basically a crisis ministry helping people get help my my kind of my role in community care is to be the bridge to get somebody to either residential treatment or intensive outpatient but we work with a lot of families like John and Fair do um is kind of a good thing because we all need support and the Lord encourages us and, and uh, the AA people saying hey man keep meeting together and keep being a word of encouragement and that's in the scriptures and and uh, and that's what we need to do and I'm glad you guys are here The uh, I didn't turn around to see you, you don't have to raise your hand <clears throat> of the people that are new first timers or, or whatever but I want to compliment you for having the courage to show up. Um, I think a lot of the battle is, is just showing up and, and being able to say, Lord, I'm humble and I'm vulnerable, and here I am. You know, I do a lot of Young Life training with leaders and staff, and when we go out into the community, um, to introduce Jesus Christ to adolescents and help them grow in their faith. I, I'd tell them a little story. I'd say, you know, uh, you're a missionary. And, uh, and speaking, to, all of us are missionaries. All of us have a story, and we heal in each other's story. So the missionary deal is, I say, you're in the Amazon River, deep in the jungle. You're in a canoe, and you're pulling up to this muddy river bank. You're going up the slope, and there's there's natives there and they don't look too friendly and they're there with spears and everything else and uh, by the end of the day you're either going to be invited to dinner or you're going to be dinner and the way I look at it is a lot of times we enter into each other's lives and 
and I know this is a big Bible because I, you know, I need the the recovery Bible large print. But sometimes you, uh, as the Lord says, uh, come to me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and my yoke is easy. Um, so for each other, I hope our yoke is easy. I hope we're gentle in heart with each other and can support each other and. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll have a good share of time towards the end of this what we're going what we're going to talk about tonight. Took a seminary class, uh, our pastoral care counseling class, one time in grad school, and the professor um, said, "You know, we're like a bottle up water," and he said, "This is us inside. This is who we are." This is our essence, and, you know, this this water is you. And, uh, you know, I won't go off on all the theological deal on that, okay, but this is us. And he said, when things in crisis hit you, the world hits you, our prodigals hit us pretty much not only on a daily basis, about five times a day, right? <laughs> There's something else, like what else is going to happen next, you know, what next kind of deal? And life hits us, and out we come, and out we come, and it hits us again. My question to all of us tonight is, what comes out when we're in crisis? This is not uh, judgmental at all, because I've fallen short of the glory for sure at times. But does the peace of the Lord come out? And don't strive for perfection, okay? Strive for progress. So <laughs> that's not a pressure statement. What comes out when you're hit? And you just go, oh my gosh. And what I told a 19-year-old the other day, I said, you know, at some point, you know, we, John and I have the same terminology. It's failure to thrive, right? He's in the basement. Some of you might resonate with that. <laughs> He's in the basement, and he can't show up time even for his appointment with me. And uh, he's one of my young life kids. And uh, and uh, I'd say, you know, at some point, brother, and I can get away with this because, as we say in young life, I've earned the right to be heard. Uh, I'd say, you know, you got to decide whether you're a problem solver or a problem creator. Are you a problem for somebody? And I'm not, and brother, I'm not judging you. Are you a problem solver? And are you hanging around problem creators? Or are you hanging around problem solvers? So uh, Frank and Laurie are friends, and they've seen this uh, this. Uh, deal I'm going to show you it, uh, I've spoken at our Trail West Young Life Family Camp out in Colorado several times over the years and um, wonderful place encourage you to go sometime And uh, uh, but um, our life is filled with being scored and I think you remember some of you are like uh, able to remember our girls Olympic gymnastic Olympic team years back and they won the gold medal but there was one girl on a balance beam that had to score a 10.0 a perfect score and all that team that coach and her when she sat down 
life hung in the balance of a scorecard. What is my score? Lord, please let it be a 10.0. What is my scorecard? Your prodigal is probably living under how am I being scored today? Not by you, but by the world. There's failure to thrive, and then you get this condescension and you're judging yourself and sometimes prodigals judge themselves harder than than not as we say with a woman that had a bad time and was drug out in the square and and uh, people were ready to throw rocks at her sometimes the hardest rock we throw is the rock we throw at ourselves and so this scorecard is what we live under that existence somebody's holding this up and I, I, I say to young couples in premarital counseling I've done several weddings through the years with young life families is that or young life kids is when you come home at the top of the driveway your spouse after you've worked all day long are they holding up a scorecard or are they going to be Christ like to you and Jesus' scorecard looks like this come to me all you who are weary and need some rest because I got you and there's nothing that will ever separate you from me. And that's a promise of Scripture. And we have to sometimes lean on that and visit that several times a day. Um, to give you a little background, we raised three boys. Our oldest son is 46 years old. <clears throat> He's the director of congregational care at Church of the Apostles. He was in recovery for 10, 12 years. I've stood in front of a lot of judges. <laughs> John and I were just mentioning a mutual friend that does young life that's a judge. And, and uh, boy, I've, I've stood, and, and I've stood in front of judges as a character witness for young life kids too. But I've done it for my own kid. And one time, Judge in Alpharetta that, that knew me and knew our family and finally looked at Rand and said, Son, you got great parents. You don't seem to get it, do you? Did that make me feel any better? Well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'll let y'all answer that. It didn't make me feel good at all. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Throw me a bone, Judge. <laughs> you know. Um, so he tested positive on probation, and a probation officer. Thank God for him. He's a heavy guy, Cherokee Indian for Scythe County and he says son he said Rand when you leave that door you owe me nine months you're either going to go to jail for nine months or you can go over to No Longer Bound the Christian Men's Recovery Program and that's a nine month program and interview with them and see if they'll let you in it's a uh, addiction recovery program so uh, No Longer Bound let him in and back in that day, no longer bound didn't let everybody in. You had to have want to, to get in there. And they do the intake interview. Well, everybody lies in their intake interview. Come on. <laughs> you know, a typical assessment question is how much, how often? And I mean, good Lord, you'll start lying right away. <laughs> I'll drink every night, Randy. <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. You know, okay, I had a couple of drinks at the Georgia tailgate party. <laughs> you know, that kind of deal. It was like... How long did that party last? 12 hours? 
you had two drinks wow that's good <laughs> I wouldn't call you a problem you know but uh, anyway um, for the first time in Ram's life he was 25 years old after um, he had been there a month we were able to visit his family we had family night on Sunday nights and we got there early and Rand and I walked around the front yard and he said dad I'm going to finish this program I'd never heard him say he was going to finish anything. He got his GED in high school, right? And the fact that he went to college and then he went and got his master's degree in um, theology, I mean, that, okay, that's fine. I mean, that's God. So people say, well, aren't you proud, you know, to me? And, and families that I know, and I go, no, I'm not proud. That's up to God because we had our youngest son that died of addiction, got drunk one night, got hit and killed on the scene by a car in the middle of the night. So I'm not proud of that either. So the successes and the so-called failures are not our responsibility. So let's take that huge weight off and put it somewhere else. My mother-in-law, when we first got married, we are we're pregnant with our first child, and I said, "Well, Mary Dale, do you have any advice?" <clears throat> and if you start crying, I'll start crying, you know, because I deal with a lot of pain every day, and uh, I feel you. My heart's with you. Okay. Um, and she said, yeah, I do. When they when start growing up, don't take too much credit when they do something good and don't take too much credit when they do something bad. That's been great advice. And people write articles about it, but that's, that's that old grandma wisdom, you know. And uh, I've always, always thought that. Um, so what comes out, you know, and, and then as we're standing there, with our prodigal and we want to reconcile let's be friends again and how long and far away is that road right well I will tell you part of reconciliation is setting boundaries and you go well wait a minute you're supposed to be all friendly and reconcile and go well there's supposed to be responsibility involved in that too I mean there just is I work with a lot of families that enable their children, and I have no judgment in my heart in that. They won't kick them out of the basement, so to speak, right? And uh, I'm dealing with families right now where there's kids living in the basement. And uh, as, John, as we say, it's failure to thrive. But it's really failure to make a decision that all of a sudden the Lord moves on you and said, Dad, I'm going to finish this program. I'm going to be a problem solver and I'm not going to be a problem creator. I would encourage you to pray because you will not maybe be able to bridge that gap alone. You're going to have to have somebody step in with you that's provided by the Lord that can work with you and walk alongside of you. A group like this it may be you get to be friends with somebody in here and say hey could you speak to my daughter it, who knows but God God works in mysterious ways 
I've seen amazing bridges, bridges being built on that. And um, our middle son's in the Air Force. He's down in Florida, about to be promoted to lieutenant colonel. And, you know, we sit there and just shake our head because when you lose a brother or you lose a son, you go, that's great. This is what you're called to do, so, you know, go do it. And do it for the glory of God, not for yourself. So as those things seep in to your prodigal, is this is not about you. As Rick Warren says in A Purpose Driven Life, I'm sure most of y'all probably at least read the first chapter of that, the first sentence. He doesn't play. He goes, this isn't about you. And it's not. So what do you bring into the world? What do you offer folks when you're around them? And um, that's a big decision. But I, I would tell you that don't try to do it alone. You know, now I've got prodigals. I just uh, several several months—I don't know—six months ago, got an 81-year-old guy into an IOP. 81 years old. IOP means intensive outpatient. So he was at a place from nine to twelve, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. 81 years old, prodigal. I don't know if you know this or not clinically, if somebody is using heavy substances and they're in their teenage years, your maturation process, part of your brain stops. So this 81-year-old, who was an incredibly successful businessman, was able to function in the world, but parts of him were 17 years old. And I'm sure you see that. Well, do we... Walk alongside of that in patience. Uh, we need to, but then there comes a time when you say, I'm going to do my part. you got to do your part, and God's going to do his part. And, you know, when Peter was slipping between, the, you know, underneath the waves when it got real rough on him, he was keeping his eyes on Jesus. He was on top, right? When he took his eyes off of Jesus, he fell, and he short. I guess it's the shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, help me. And how many times have we prayed that, right? And the Lord is there to give us his spirit. And it's our job to put an action plan together. Pray it up, seek the Lord's wisdom, and then say, you know what? And I write family contracts for people. I just sent one out three weeks ago and said I'm offering to for free to meet with the the qualifier as Al-Anon calls it right the prodigal and um, but you're not getting any more money from your family and in reality you may be the bridge to build a bridge back to your dad that will show the rest of your family that they need to be taking care of their dad who's older now there's a responsibility that needs to be accepted in the acceptance we give so I don't want to walk by and go oh we're just going to love our prodigal until he changes that'd be great wouldn't it <laughs> that would be fantastic it doesn't mean you don't love him but if you want reconciliation there has, there has to be a contract. There has to be action steps.
So, um, I, uh, I think when we get to that point, you need a third party facilitator to help you set up that contract, is what I'm saying there. But when you show up, you've got to show up with the Spirit of Christ. And there's consequences. And when we lost our son, and I just, we deal with a lot of death in our society now. A lot of kids, a lot of kids overdosing or to death by suicide. And I just met with a lady again yesterday. Her son took his life. I coached him at Love It years back. And she's having a hard time. This is three or four years later. And um, she said, I, I, Randy, you told me not to ask the why question. But I, I can't. I can't let that go. And I said, the why will not go away until you discover the peace that the Lord is there. And she said, did God cause this because God's sovereign and knows everything? And I went, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that at all because God is not a God of pain. God is not going to create pain. God will restore the pain. God will, you know, what? what's the old saying people say when we lost Drew? God doesn't waste some, you know, that statement, you know. God's going to turn your pain into good stuff and all that. Well, it doesn't mean that the consequences of what happened doesn't mean the pain's going to go away. But there can be fruit coming from the pain. So I don't want to make promises that are not there for you. If you're hurting, you're going to be hurting. And that's where you just, you fall in somebody else's arms, but fall in the arms of Jesus first and say, Lord, as much as I understand you today, Help me out. You know? And God doesn't put any pressure on us to be perfect 10.0 Christians. Right? So, um, when we look at uh, reconciliation, uh, it's, we all want it. Um, Marty mentioned forgiveness. Um, it's part of it. But also reconciliation is, again, setting, setting your relationship up. This is how our relationship's going to work. You know, I, I had uh, one lady that came in yesterday who just cannot cut her son off. And uh, now her husband has the keys have been taken away from the, of the car by the neurologist yesterday. And she's broken. And I said, it's time for your son to become a problem solver. So I know you can't call him and tell him you're not going to give him any more money, but tell him you need help now. See the difference there? And by you telling him you need help now means he's going to realize he's not getting any more money. So there's natural and there's consequences that have to be in order and in place. So when I wrote a family contract recently, I said, you, you know, the family's, you know, I'm being the bad guy for the family, but the family's not going to give you any more money. But let me tell you what, I believe in the glory of God, and I think this will open up who you can really become, and you may become a millionaire. And we're going to get out of the way, and we're going to let you go find that out. That, that's what I'm talking about, a natural... We're going to get out of the way, and we're going to let you go find out. 
had a lady call me one time said my adult daughter is living in our storage unit that they rented off site somewhere from their house and I said well wow that's amazing does it have heating in there <laughs> she said well as a matter of fact it does I said well I know it's illegal to live in there she said well what do I do I said, well, and you all know this story. Don't give them any cash. And don't give them that credit, that, that little card. That they'll, you know how that goes. That's cash. And uh, and all that. I said, give them a bucket of fried chicken every night. And just put it in there and let them live in the storage unit. <laughs> till they sit there and figure out. Like my son said, one of the times he sat in jail for 10 days. You know, you can do a lot of thinking sitting in jail. You don't have to think for your prodigal, right? And that prodigal may be 81 years old in your family, or it may be 17. You don't have to do all the thinking and carrying the burden, and you don't have to design his plan or her plan. I just want to set you free on that. Doesn't mean you don't leave them. Make sure they got food and shelter. You know, AA used to say, we're going to let you hit bottom, and AA's now saying, we got to raise the floor. <laughs> used to be you could jump on a freight train and not get killed. And today's society is a lot different. Our sons lived under a bridge for two weeks. We didn't even know it. He, he said, at least I had enough pride to not burden y'all with my deal. You know, Okay. That, that's fine. So there, there's there's natural consequences to things. So do we get out of the way of those natural consequences? And parents call me all the time. Little Benji's in jail. He got arrested. They'll call me, text me at one o'clock in the morning. Down in Fulton County, and. I don't know if y'all been down to Fulton County Jailhouse, but I have several times. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, but uh. I, I tell the parents, I say, listen, they're going to be all right. And I can tell you right now, if you get in the car and you rush down there with your teddy bear and blankie, they ain't going to let Benji out. <laughs> Whether you show up or not and tap on that real thick window, I'm here for Benji. And they're going to go, yeah, well, let me check that out. We're processing stuff, and they'll say all that stuff all night long. So save, get a good night's sleep because now you know at least where he is. There's natural consequences. You know, you show up the next day around lunchtime. Maybe you show up three days later, you know. That's where you need somebody to walk alongside of you. What do I do? Because you're freaking and I'm with the parents. i got to go get him. Well, they're not going to let you go get him. So relax, you know, in the process of it all. It's easy to say relax, but... My heart goes out to you when I say that. So, um, so we're we're at a place where we go. Okay, how do I do this? And and um, we know the this story for sure. One day while Jesus was teaching, preaching, Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, and I'll skip through it because of sake of time because I want to open up for question and answers here in a little bit. Friends carry the paralytic to Jesus. And Jesus 
is sitting there and we know what the Pharisees are doing and trying to challenge him on the law and only God can forgive sins and we we know all that. But a couple of my points on on us as you know friends and family of prodigals is there were four people that carried the person that was in harm's way to the feet of Jesus. And again, I'm going to say, don't try to do it alone. Uh, and again, I can say that those four people were not his parents. Don't put this burden on you. I deal with a lot of, I'm, I'm 70 years old, so if somebody's 40 or 50 years old or 30 years old, and my young life kids, and I probably officiated their wedding, and they come to me and they got three kids, and old Ricky's out there drinking a little too hard now because he can't take care of life, right? And, and uh, matter of fact, I'm going to I'm having two couples come in tomorrow that are my young life kids. But we've got to get out of the way. And, but then challenging them, saying in a typical assessment question, the first meeting when they come in, what do you want to do? Randy, I want to quit drinking. I went, okay. Then this is what it's going to take. And when during the assessment, I'll say, you know, you may need to go to an IOP. You may need to go to residential treatment. You know, uh, some professional needs to be able to assess that. And I recommend that to families, and families go, I can't, I can't do that. And go, okay, well, you're just delaying the pain, right? Well, we kind of all know that. Now, I say that with all compassion because to be able to sit there and go, hey, man, you got to go to residential treatment, that's, that's hard to do. And then parents say, well, that costs a lot of money, and he didn't have the money. And uh, I get that, and that's practical, and every family's got to make their own, their own decision on that, you know. Um, I've had several overdoses in the last 10 days that I've been dealing with. Three of them lived, and two of them are in residential treatment right now. No, three. Well, no, I've gotten three people in residential treatment in the last seven or eight days, and that's family crisis. That's when you finally sit there and go, we, we really are now forced to make a decision. And somebody's in the hospital for five days, and you all know this. I mean, when you're in the work that I do, I have people die on me all the time. It's not just a one-a-year thing. Um, so the natural consequences are to try to raise the floor but not put the burden of responsibility on yourself. So these four folks are saying, we need to get you help. And that's the only place you're going to go get help. So we know the, the deal is Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And that means when you tell a prodigal, no, I want to, you need to heal me. I want to quit drinking. You go, well, we're not doing that first. We're, we're going to, we're going to clean this muddy water out and we're going to put Christ's spirit into you. Now we start. 
Jesus says your sins are forgiven and everybody's going what the heck you know that's where you start you don't start at you got to quit drinking because generally that's not going to work there has to be a life change there has to be a moment when something moves over the qualifier that get, that develops want to so um and the responsibility that goes with it um, I wish we had a lot of time, but I, I I could launch off into enabling all night long, you know, and we could sit there together because Susie and I didn't know what the heck we were doing years ago. So uh, I guess that's why we do it, at least part of it. So anyway, this guy's life changed. People saying we are amazed. We have never seen anything like this. And some of y'all have been involved in this. If your prodigal changes people sit there and go that's the witness you don't have to say a word if Rand walks around Church of the Apostles they know his story and they just sit there and look at him you know I mean I wish we could sit there and look at Drew we actually thought we were going to lose Rand not Drew you know who knows it's not up to us you know if you make a bad decision you're going to have to live with it that kind of a deal so Jesus is in the life of transformation and we don't want to walk by that we don't want to skip to hey I'm going to go do yoga I love yoga Don't not a lot of treatment programs I send they do yoga that's good get as peaceful as you want doing yoga but yoga is not going to fix what's in here it'll fix what's out here to some extent so Jesus can heal. We have seen amazing things today. So Jesus is saying, you know, how do we change our life? And he talks about, and no one puts new wine into old wine skins. And my comment is nobody puts a new lifestyle into old habits. You can't go hang out with the same friends. Rand doesn't have any friends he grew up with anymore. He had to leave them. And I hadn't talked with them in years. He's been sober 20 years. And he said, Dad, I had a rough year last year. I don't have any friends. There's decisions that have to be made. There's friends that are bringing you to the foot of the cross. So his friends are now all in the recovery and pastoral care ministry those friends are a lot more healthy (laughs) how do you develop new friends how do you put a new lifestyle into old habits you don't no one puts new wine into old wineskins for the new wine will burst the wineskins spilling the wine and ruining the skins in other words the rigid old wineskin cannot expand and we're wanting our qualifier to expand and grow and have room to grow and create space in their life. New wine must be stored in new wine skins, but no one who drinks the old wine see okay, no no problem there. So my point is that habits and lifestyles uh, have to start beginning to change. And we all we're all sitting in this room, I wish they that would start tonight. You know, and what the frustration, but we just gotta hang on to each other 
say, Lord, we're still lifting it up to you, but I'm going to do my part. What, what are you doing to get in the way of their best chance of success? I, that's a hard answer. I, I'm, I, that's not a leading question because it's different for every family to some extent. It really is. So the four friends, uh, I really want to save time here. I've got more to get to than we'll probably get to tonight. But the four friends are these guys that write letters. You know, you've heard of intervention. I don't do interventions. That's a TV word. (laughs) I do family meetings. And we talk about it, and there's no surprises. However... If you know your qualifier is so far down the road, you've got to have their bags packed right there, I'm all for it. Because that's about the only way. And that is a family decision. So I'm not on a soapbox to say do it one way or the other. But this is one of the four friends that wrote a letter after I, quote, did a family meeting of a young guy. And um, I'm going to scan through it and read some of it to you. This is his friend writing to this guy that his life is falling apart because of alcohol. That's his DOC or drug of choice. First off, dear so-and-so, first off, let me me say this letter comes from a place of love. I'm going to call a guy Joe. Joe, you are one of my best friends in the world. You are sometimes, you are someone I admire, someone I trust, someone I love. And last but not least, you are someone that I care deeply for. And we all do that for our qualifiers for sure. Uh, Maybe you're worn out and you can't love them right now. And I'm going to say, that's okay. That's okay. We, We know that God never leaves us. God will always love us no matter where we go. And we know that. Keep that in your heart. But there's sometimes you need a break. You need to go to a retreat, not them. Right? And given that I love and care for you, it wouldn't be right for me as a friend to stay silent on your struggles with alcoholism. So first point is you got to speak the truth in love. Party's over, right? First time I noticed you acting off was in summer 2019. I brushed it off that this behavior kept reappearing. Now, that's denial, okay? Oh, he just had a bad night, right? I remember I went to your house one evening in the fall watching Netflix and catch up on some time I arrived. You were too drunk to hold a coherent conversation or even stay awake. I watched a bit of TV, then passed out. You passed out on the couch, so I woke you up to say goodbye and left. You didn't even register my goodbye, and you passed out again. Um, I also noticed littered beer bottles, things like that, uh, all over, whatever. I texted you the next day expressing my concern. You assured me it was just bad insomnia and you weren't sleeping well. Well, How many stories have we heard, right? I just had bad insomnia, man. Now, I worked with this guy and I finally got him into treatment. You can't imagine the denial of scouts in. Friends carrying him in front of Jesus. He's being honest with him, speaking the truth in love. And he's saying something's got to happen. There's got to be an action step. I text you the next day, expressing the current. You said you weren't sleeping. However, after seeing this behavior persist for years, 
and my heart goes out to y'all for however long you've been dealing with this because it's exhausting and that's where you need to start taking care of yourself it's okay to take care of yourself you will never be able to reconcile with your qualifier unless you're healthy and unless you're whole and unless you are organized and unless you are doing these things and unless you fill your life with the Holy Spirit that will give you the peace that passes all understanding. And people go, well, I got that. Well, they're not dealing with what you're dealing with. <laughs> right? It's easy for you to say, bro, you don't know what I'm dealing with. After seeing this persist for years, learning about how extreme your alcoholism has gotten, it's apparent that this way, this uh, is way bigger than bouts of insomnia. This guy's really amazing writing this because this is a... He's a 20-something year old. I mean, to have this type of maturity, to speak that direct truth, good for him. Now, we coach people up to write these letters, but he's, he's written a good letter. It puts a strain on our friendship when I never know if you are going to black out drunk the next time we hang out. Ever since I can remember, you have wanted to be a, a you know, professional, lawyer, doctor, or such, okay? So he's in grad school for that. This guy's... The qualifier is brilliant. You just can't quit drinking. And you live your life in a way to set yourself up to do all these phenomenal things. Uh, you would never do anything as a teenager to jeopardize that. He had a life plan. Unbelievable. Took extra da-da-da-da and all this other stuff. Did all these things. Um, <clears throat> this is so out of character and I fear that if you let your alcoholism worsen, you will never become the professional you want to be. On top of that, I fear that your alcoholism will ruin your friendships, your marriage, uh, and may ultimately kill you. So this is just a wake-up call. Will somebody change from that? Probably not, <laughs> but maybe. Better said, done, said than left undone or left unsaid, right? And you can say it with love. You don't have to throw lamps across the room. Alcoholism is a disease. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but unfortunately you have it. And you need to learn to manage it. it those direct statements are what a qualifier is going to remember. And you can say it in love. You know, you know, you don't have... Let me put it this way, guys. Let me take the pressure off you. Don't sales pitch your qualifier. It won't work. It just won't work. You can sit there and build a business plan for your qualifier. You can give them investment money. You can do all, all of that. And I'm telling you, through my years of experience doing this, it's going to be maybe rough that that might work, and I hope it does if you decide to go that way. I'm all for you. But I found that it's not as successful as you would think it would be. So take the pressure off yourself. Because reconciliation is speaking truth, hard truth, being prepared, and being able to say, I'm not going to enable you anymore because we can't reconcile if you're not living in freedom. You, you, both parties have to live in freedom to, to do that. This goes on, but these these are the main 
main points on it. So I just I wanted to let you know that there's ways to do there's ways to do this. Um, God encourages us run the race with perseverance. I always say never give up, but never give in. Just run the race. Keep going, man. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because you don't want to be sitting on the front row of a funeral saying, I gave up. But you also don't want to be sitting there saying, I gave in. We all know in Scripture, and I can't turn to these and read all these because we're running out of time, but there is a great cloud of witnesses cheering for you. And you need to go find those people, and you need to be with those people. Say, I need you to cheer me on today. I'm hitting rock bottom, man. And we all know, you know, we've said in, in, in all this is, oh, maybe sometimes we're as sick as the qualifier. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's, that's an individual deal. I'm not going to make that blanket statement. But I've seen some real healthy people that have prodigals and, they go, I don't know how to help them. And sometimes helping them is getting out of the way. So keep meeting and encouraging one another scripturally. So the last thing I'll say is I'll tell you a story. Um, and then I'll read you, uh, and then we'll open up for questions and answer. I'm going to read you the 12 missteps of life recovery, (laughs) okay? Um, You're saying, Randy, I can't let go of helping my qualifier. I I can't do it. Call John and Fair, and if you need to talk, they'll get you in touch with me. But there was a lifeguard in Charleston, South Carolina. Old Frank and Laurie have heard this story at family camp. And um, there was an older couple, probably a little younger than me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> matter of fact, I think they were. They were in their 60s is what the guy said. And uh, they were at the beach and this, this older couple was floating out in the waves and they got too far out and they couldn't get back. But they got over to the last pole on the pier and they grabbed onto that pole like it was their life. This was it. <laughs> and the lifeguard saw them and swam out and was, you know, 10 yards away from them and had all the flotation stuff. Whole deal. Ready to save your life. And he's saying, just let go. This is a true story of a lifeguard friend that was on Young Life staff there. And he used to be a lifeguard and uh, told, tells the story. And he said they wouldn't let go. He said the problem was the pole was covered with barnacles and they were getting cut to shreds. Right? You get where I'm going. You need to let go and let your prodigal find out the glory that God made him to be or her. Be organized about it. Give them a bucket of fried chicken. Don't give them cash. All those things. And if you need help, contact John and Fair, and I'll be glad to talk with you. He said, just let go. They were getting cut to shreds because they thought their plan was better than God's plan. 
And I don't judge them for it. But they were getting cut to shreds. My heart goes out to you guys. You showed up. You're courageous. But if you need to let go and you feel like I'm so exhausted and worn out and cut to shreds, there's a lifeguard that's got all the flotation equipment you need. And get, get to him. Get to the Lord. And then start building your life back. When you do that, you will show up healthy enough to walk through reconciliation. But reconciliation is hard work. It is us doing our part. God will do his part. If the, uh, the qualifier doesn't do his part, deal's off. We'll see you in a year. Maybe you'll be ready then. Doesn't mean you lose touch or cut them off. That's not what I'm talking about communication-wise. So know that you may need to let go tonight. You may need to let go if you're getting cut up pretty bad, okay? Um I'm going to read four of these. I can't read them all because I want to open up for questions and you know um, the twelve missteps of life recovery. I can quit tomorrow. <laughs> you ever heard that? <laughs> I can quit tomorrow. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Remember, it is sin to know. It is a sin to know what you ought to do. And then not to do it. That's out of James chapter 4, verse 14. I can handle it by just trying harder if I have more willpower. I mean, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir right here now, you know. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I pray that for you guys tonight. Uh, when I go, I won't remember all your names, but I'll remember your faces. And I'll just lift you up before the Lord that the Lord will lift you up and strengthen you to let go and let God. Turning my life over to Christ is only is the only step I need. And I've had people say that and they can't quit drinking. <laughs> That's not the only step. It's the step to get here so you can get there. And my Sherpa executive coaching is like, what got you here won't get you there. And then it's what's your impact on business? What's your impact on your family? You know, well, we got to take a look at that. And you need a third party to do that. Don't do that just with your qualifier because it probably won't go very far. You don't need to sales pitch them anymore. I'll take that burden off of you. Um, since I'm accountable to God I don't need a sponsor as iron sharpens iron so friends sharpen the friend so yeah you, you put your life before the Lord but you start depending on who the Lord put around you to challenge you to like this guy and writing this letter speak truth in love Iron sharpens iron. That's us to us, you know. Since Jesus would want me to help my old friends, I don't need to change where I go or whom I hang out with. 
run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. I mean, flee, right? Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, joy, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That's out of Timothy chapter 2. It's like I say, Rand doesn't have any of his old friends that he grew up with. He's got new friends that provide that. And I'm not saying it's not sad. I'm not saying that he's not sad, that he misses some of those guys. But I just got a guy in Blue Ridge Mountain Recovery that's 19 years old that had relapsed, and we put him back in because he kept going to his friends, and his friends were doing nothing but use him because they were problem creators, not problem solvers. Here again, I don't judge them. They're in a struggle for life, but... That's that. So, after making good progress in my recovery, I can start using again in moderation. Uh, Every guy that I coach football with that comes in there and they go, can I moderate my drinking? I said, based on the way you drink, dude, probably not. (laughs) You know? Uh, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Um, there's so much there. I wish we could have about four or five days together, but you probably go, no, Randy, I think I'm going to go home tonight. That's enough. But uh, I really uh, pulling for y'all. I love y'all. Is a kindred spirit. We've walked the path. Um, just know the takeaway is if you want to reconcile, you got a lot of work to do yourself. That doesn't come easy, but boy, it's worth it. So um, I'll open it up for questions and answers, okay? And we'll do that for about seven or eight minutes, and then we'll cut and run, okay? So, but thanks, y'all. typical contract what's and how does that yeah you say a third party how is that presented yeah that's a great that's a great question first of all it can look several different ways it depends on each family okay but like a contract i i just wrote this family came to me in exhaustion and explained over a 15-year period of time how much money they had put into the qualifier and the old the the older Dad, um, he he's doesn't have as much money as he had, and he's got to be careful. And the two older sons, they put a lot of money in, and that was the issue that they came with. So I said, well, let's address that first. But I'm not walking away from the qualifier and his wife because I want to meet with them, and I'll meet with them for free. But we need to get them understanding the glory that's waiting on him to discover who he is and his potential. As we say, what's getting in the way of your best chance of success? So you identify it, and you identify it with somebody that's used to writing family contracts, and then you can sit there and be able to communicate that, but you not, but 
but a third party communicate. We, I'm just here for the family, and I'm here for you too, qualifier. I'm here to bring together now a new way of living, right? New way of living. This this is where what we're going to do moving forward, and and then we go from there. Now the hard part is. Um, I've had people say, Randy, will you come over and kick my kids out because I don't have the guts to do it, and they're too nice. And, I mean, I can say this, probably shouldn't, but he talks to his football team about this. But uh, the head coach at Westminster called me years ago and said, his twin boys, he said, and this guy is the greatest guy in the world. I wish I could have coached with him. You know, he is just a wonderful person. He said, and then he said, can you come over here and talk to my kids? And so I kicked him out. Uh, I, th- I think uh, Coach called me back two or three days later, and they got they went and bought a tent at Sears or somewhere, and they were put the tent in the backyard. <laughs> so the reason I'm saying that, which is a great question, is that you've got to revisit the contract, and then you've got to be able to say, if we don't honor the contract, what's going to happen? See, a lot of people write contracts and they don't go, well, if a contract's not honored, what do we do then? And you, you need to go, if we don't do this, then our next step is this, right? And you phase it in. You don't, well, and like I say, there's sometimes where you go, you got to go to residential treatment, man. Tomorrow morning, we're picking you up. You just do. That's okay. But if you're in between and that's where you sit with somebody and figure that out that's used to doing this, say, I think we're here, you know, and let, let's do it in phases. But you really you really do need to help. But as the contract is like, hey, you know, we love you. Been, I represent your, your family and I represent you. And I can't wait to start meeting with you. Um, but for now, we're going to let you find, discover who you really are. So we're not going to support you financially anymore. You know, now he's older, okay. But if, if it's it's a lot there because if it's a teenager, it's got to be a different contract. If somebody thirty years old, it's got to be a different contract. If it's somebody eighty years old, it's got to be a different contract. Same theme, but um, it's something to really frame in the reconciliation piece because now you're putting organization and structure around it. And we know we might have people in us, which we did. Um, I mean, ran ran an addiction for 15 years. How do you get through that? And I know there's probably some of you guys that are in there like that. We didn't know what to do. We do now, but that's a great question because a contract at least starts framing in your relationship where you're not going to be the enabler anymore. So there's a lot there. But it's a big help. It's a nice tool. It's not the end-all, be-all, but it's a nice tool. Okay. Um, so yeah. What if you don't really have a financial trigger there? Yeah. What? Yeah. Can I ask what that, what you, what your well, you, trigger? They, they, they're able to financially support themselves. So. Yeah. There's no trigger that you can pull away. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you do at that point? Well, it, it, okay, let's, let's just say, because I'm dealing with a couple of couples right now where the spouse 
is a drinker, and they I talked with a lady yesterday. She said, Randy, we're rich. And you just sent a, a, a lady friend of mine to this residential treatment program that cost $58,000, and I got that money, and I want to go. And and I'm going, okay, that that's great. Well, let's forget the money. What are you willing to do? Because let me explain what happens when you get there. But let me explain what happens if you don't get there. And that is your husband has a choice now. Does he need to get it 30 days off? And he's going to go to the beach for 30 days because he's, he's got a beach house. It, it, it depends on each person's story, but if there's money involved, that's great. That's not going to hold you back from setting consequences, you know, and then setting boundaries. Um, I had a lady bring in her husband, and husband's 58 years old. And, uh, you know, typical assessment question is how much, how often? And... Uh, he said, Randy, I drink 19 airplane bottles of vodka a night. And I said, dude, why don't you just go buy a handle? It's cheaper. And uh, he laughed and he went, I like to count them, you know. So he is on the couch for three straight weeks again. And his wife said, I can't do it anymore. This is after several years of marriage. And she finally hit her bottom. And that's okay. So I met with him, and I said, next week, bring your wife in. I said, in front of you, I'm going to give your wife permission to leave. And I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, and I do not believe in divorce. But you're abusing her. And like old Rick Warren says and the other preachers, as soon as there's abuse, you're free to leave. That's abuse. Are you holding up your end of the partnership? That's probably not answering your question directly, but there's other money. Yeah, that's not the only driver for sure. Yeah. Um, any more? Don't want to hurry it, but. Randy, I have one. Yeah. What's your experience when you've got the uh, fair to thrive 18 plus year old in the basement and you give them an ultimatum, they don't live up to it, and then you try to get the police involved, and then you, I've been told, you got to evict them. You got to go through the eviction process. Have you had any experience with that? Yeah, I have. But and I know you guys years ago are a great example to the answer to that. There's something's got to. If nothing changes, nothing changes, and you've got to sense as a family individually, am I willing to keep plugging on this? And if you are then then you do if you see movement if you see little daylights and then relapse little daylight and relapse i encourage you to don't give up as paul says run the race with perseverance you know uh i would say that but i would say if there's somebody that is in harm's way to in you know this is if you're a threat to yourself in your safety or someone else then we got to get you somewhere tonight that kind of a deal. If your health and and um, y'all, I had I, I mean I cried so hard. I, I had a guy I was meeting with. He was forty years old, thirty nine years old, and uh, his dad called me. He said I hadn't heard from so and so in two days, and 
I call, I said, well, call the police and tell them to get into the house. And he said, I called the police. They won't do it. And I said, go break in the house. They're not going to arrest you. And, um, but call them and tell them you're doing it. <laughs> and, um, he was dead. He drank himself to death. And I have guys die on me of alcohol poison. His body was, his laying on the couch was literally jaundiced. He was yellow. Those scenarios, you got to get them somewhere. It, you know, if you're it, it, if you're not willing to, if you can't yourself do something, you got to get them somewhere where they have structure and safety and organization, all that. The issue of just a 19-year-old, which I'm seeing tomorrow, that couldn't make his grades at Georgia and his home and he's active but he's he's failure to thrive uh, I'm recommended the recommended to the family that they get him somewhere like a gap year or they get him somewhere and get get help because if you put that pressure on yourself this is just me now guys that's just too much pressure but the guy that's trying that goes eight days you know, go, I'm sober. Then it's a, that's a family decision to say, we're going to keep chugging. He may relapse. We're going to keep going. But somebody that, that is, um, that is in harm's way, I, I would say you got to get them in a structured situation. Yeah. So. What are we? <laughs> We're raising a lot of kids that are addicted to laziness. <laughs> I mean, just what it is, you know. And at that point, you may need a you may need a structured situation for them. And going to the University of Georgia as a freshman ain't structure. And this kid never really drank in high school. He went to a small private Christian school. He got up there. He lost his mind, and he's—he—I love this kid. He's a great kid, you know. But I'm going to be recommending to the parents they got to get him somewhere. It, you know, it's—it's it's a Christian wilderness program. You know, there's one up in North Carolina. There's all kind of things out there, y'all. It's got to be vetted out and make sure it's the people are legit, you know. You ask yourself the question. What are my chances of getting him out of the basement? And if they're not good, if you're really looking at yourself in the mirror and going, they're not that good, then you go get help. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, yeah. It's really easy to say, get them somewhere. But if they're an adult and they don't want to go, there's nothing in Georgia that yeah. can make them go. Well, there is. Georgia's the worst place in the country. It is. It's Georgia's tough. But it's like John said, you can have them evicted, and you can change the locks on your house. Yeah, but I'm not saying, I mean, get help. Go oh, get help? Yeah. Yeah, well, they don't have to go, but they don't have to come home. No. You're giving them an option. We're, we're willing to give you this, but you can't live here. Yeah, yeah. but you're right. I just... 
And that's a hard place to be I mean, as a you family. You can go to Florida and you can have them put in for two weeks evaluation. Yeah. You can do that almost anywhere, but not in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. But you can, you can call the police. Police can help you. Well, that wasn't any help either. That what? <laughs> that wasn't any help either. Oh, it wasn't? No. Yeah. What happened? We've been through the gamut. I mean, oh, you have? we've been yeah. through it. And because he's an adult, it's just been awful. You can't get a restraining order. You can't get a, a vic, you know, where you can put them out of the house. But how does that? I mean, we've done that. Okay. But and he I comes want him off drugs. Period. And he comes back, or? No, it's just not that. It's just that I don't want to find him dead. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get that. So he's not living at home. No. Okay. Yeah. Well. You, you mentioned the floor. Yeah. Where's the bright line between a floor and enabling? That's that's yeah. where we're having trouble because we had provide we got him out of our house, bought a townhouse mm-hmm. he could live in. Yeah, but he won't pay rent. He doesn't pay utilities. He doesn't work. He's not he capable. He's too yeah. stoned yeah. or whatever you call it. But right it. now he's in jail, and we're grateful for that. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, y'all need to come talk to me. Um, can you get with Fair and get the contact information and show? Yeah, because I would love to talk with y'all because that's a lengthier conversation. Yeah, I'd love to talk. A couple of times he's really made the effort, but then he has severe depression and then that kicks in and there we are again. No, I got you. I got you. Let's let's talk. There there's some options that are out there. If he's not willing to do it, then we go to the the next step but you know it's funny I give families an option you can either go buy them a townhome and they go well I'm not doing that so you can go buy them a $90,000 townhome because you're going to pay more than $90,000 if you don't you know that kind of deal and they go well that's crazy I'm not doing that and I say okay then kick them out you know well he's out of the house he was but, doing well in the townhouse to start with and then of course you know he made friends with people who weren't Good yeah. people. Yeah. How, yeah. How old is How old is he? Forty one. He's forty one. We've been going yeah. through this for like for a long time. Fifteen years. Yeah. And it really, okay. Probably before that we didn't know, but it started okay. with. So you've gone surgery, through, you've surgery. gone through counselors, you've gone through treatment, residential yeah. treatment, or any of that. Yeah. He refuses to go. He's in his twenties when it started. Okay. Well, this is going to sound cruel, and this is scary. I think he's afraid because he has some yeah. mental illness. I'm afraid. He, I think he's afraid he, he gets in there, he'll never get out. I think he has that fear. It's not a reasonable fear, but I think he does have that fear. We, we had a family meeting. Okay. Uh, and when he was, this was 10 years ago or something mm-hmm. like that, and he agreed to go to a facility. And yep. It was an anchor hospital mm-hmm. downtown. Mm-hmm. It was not a pleasant experience for him, and I think he's afraid to try anything else because of that experience. Okay. So, like you said, we just we need to talk to you separately. Yeah, we'll do that. But if he's dealing with clinical depression, that that's a let me set up some help for you because that's out of my expertise. It is 
if clinical depression's involved, that's a whole different ballgame. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but let, let's talk because I've got some other folks that I can get involved and we can we can see. But yeah, the state of Georgia is John. What is the ten thirteen? It's like two days. Wrestling with that now, two days, four days, yeah. an involuntary admission. But used to be the police would take it, but now, uh, unless you're an immediate threat to yourself or others, they're not taking it to the hospital. That's right. Yeah, making you do it. The judge. It. Yeah. The judge even said that he was to spend two weeks in a mental health facility. Nobody came and got him. Nobody took him. I mean, there was nothing done. It was like a waste. It was just. Yeah. I mean, we would have paid for it. Sure. But, yeah. okay. you know, there was just, there's no help. There's nothing. Okay. I, I, I've got, uh, is he willing to meet with anybody? I think he would. I mean, he's, you know, he's been in there over a month, so he's clean. I mean, he's reasonable when he's. No, I get, I get that. It's over the anger. Um, Y'all get in touch with me because Bruce, who spoke here last time, is at Church of the Apostles, and my son is, and the three of us could maybe meet with him and give him some support and talk to him, and we take a run at it because we know other a huge number of clinicians in the mission. We know program, we know everything, so we, it, we could maybe be able to talk to him as finally he's going to have to find a motivator, somebody that can get through to him. Maybe it's us, maybe it isn't, but it we'd certainly... Family we found. No, it can't. That's what I'm saying. The family's not going to be able to do that most of the time. Okay, uh, but just get in touch with us, and I we could set up a meeting there with the three of us. Okay, that'd be good. Okay, say so eight... Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. 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 Okay.